Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women Leaders in Medicine, a special podcast series led by our section editor on pulmonary and critical care medicine, Dr. Jasbal Singh. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions. Hi, welcome to Consultant 360. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh, on this series of Women Leaders in Medicine. And with us today are Neha and Sadia. And uh, thank you so much, uh, ladies, for joining us today. Neha, you want to introduce yourself first? Good morning. Thank you so much for, for having us. So I'm Neha Tangayich, and I'm an assistant professor of neurology and neurosurgery for Mount Sinai. And I'll talk specifically about my social media leadership roles. I'm the chair for social media for Society of Critical Care Medicine. And I also serve as a vice chair for the social media work group for the American College of Chest Physicians. And I'm also a member of the COVID-19 task force for chest. And we've been doing a lot of a lot of great things, leveraging social media for building community, for studying the impact of social media in pulmonary and critical care medicine and sleep and looking at how various societies have been interacting and building their portfolios for sharing knowledge across their membership, leveraging different social media platforms. Well, uh, excited to be here. Thank you. No, that's awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, Sadia, yourself. So first off, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to engage in this with Neha, who's clearly an expert in the field. I'm a social media user. I'm a professor at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. I've trained in both pulmonary critical care and and sleep. I also have a role as a clinical educator and serve as an associate program director for the McGovern UT Fellowship down in Houston, Texas. I'm active in social media from uh, several societies, including CHEST as well, as well as the ABIP. And really, I love the engagements and the connections I've made with social media. So looking forward to our discussion. That's great. That's a great headway. You kind of explained a little bit of how you got into it. Why don't you both kind of explain to our sort of, so I'm very much a novice. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician. I'm sort of a generalist in some ways, but I do specialize in some aspects of it. But the aspects of like, you know, why and how did you get into it? Why should people get into it? Neha, we'll start with you. You studied this a little bit and published on this. Thank you. And it happened very, I'll share the story briefly. So I'd gone to the 2016 Society of Critical Care Medicine meeting because I'd been invited to be part of the membership committee. I'm junior faculty. I don't know anybody. It's a massive meeting. And then I see these boards and people are tweeting. I'd never tweeted before that and start attending sessions. And I'm like, oh, maybe maybe I I, I have something to say about this. And I'd, I'd like to ask a question. And I started tweeting and I started tagging some people. And I started seeing my name show up on these leaderboards, oh, top 10 social media influencers. And that, that was like an awesome moment. And I had no idea what it meant, but I was just having fun. And I connected with so many people who I'd never met before using Twitter as the primary platform during the course of the meeting. And I learned so much. And from concurrent sessions, I'm, I'm looking at content and interacting with content from different, different sessions. So Chris Carroll, who who I'm so grateful for, uh, for being my social media mentor, uh, I reached out to him via a direct message on Twitter. And I said, hey, you know, uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. How can I get more involved? And he invited me over to the social media work group. And now it's a committee. And, you know, lo and behold, a few years down, we applied for a grant to study the socium or the interactions between different people and content on, on uh, specifically on Twitter and 
and how different hashtags work and network analysis of conversations. And one thing led to another. And it's become such a rich collaboration with colleagues from, from all over the world. And I am so grateful for now serving as, as the chair for the social media committee at uh, SEC. I mean, it's, it's something that has that has drawn me into contributing more meaningfully to some of our, you know, major national organizations, including SCCM and CHEST. That's, that's a great story. Sadia, how did you get into this? And tell me about your story and how did you get involved? So um, I have to say that I joined Twitter a long time ago. I want to say when I first became faculty back in like 2007. But I really didn't use my Twitter handle. Honestly, I don't think I understood it initially. But I, I also started getting more engaged in association with professional societies like, like CHEST, as well as within the interventional pulmonary community. And I think I became more active, I guess, in 2019. The reason I use it is because for me, it's a way to connect not only within my field, but outside my field. I think we all become so specialized that, you know, I'm very good at pulmonary and its complications related to cancer and sleep and plural, but you kind of lose sight of other disciplines that we've trained in internal medicine. And it allows me a way to learn from other disciplines, gastroenterology, surgery. And so I think the reason I kept engaged and stayed in it is because I could learn from other people in things that I'm interested in procedural education and simulation. The other thing is I found a sense of community. I also connected with Chris Carroll at one of the chess meetings and meeting both you and Neha virtually. I've never actually met you guys, but getting to know people and connect and, and going on to collaborate within sessions or projects or anything. That's really what's kind of kept me in it. Furthermore, highlighting our education, clinical education and our program and collaborative endeavors. One of the things I'm involved with is a Southwest regional boot camp where we do a boot camp for first year fellows within the Southwest region. We started about almost 10 years ago and have grown from three institutions to now 11 institutions. Of course, the last two years we had to do it virtually, but it's a one day immersive simulation. And through social media, we've even been able to engage more programs and grow our programs. So we have people from Texas, Tulane, and even Arkansas. So I've seen a lot of benefits from engaging both personally and professionally. Well, that's, that's great. So I think what I hear you saying, what I hear you both saying is sort of like found a great way to connect with people, great way to learn, great way to do it and learn it and actually in real time and not be traditionally have the barriers of time, money, resources, and geography, essentially as a barriers. And so I think that's great. I'm trying, I'm experimenting with it. And there's a whole variety of platforms. And I do some things okay and some things not well at all, including managing my various social media platforms. Some are more effective than others to understand which one works better for various purposes. As a general pulmonary critical care and sleep physician, tell me how you see the different platforms play out a little bit. Sadia, we'll start with you a little bit. Like you mentioned Twitter, but what are some other ways or thoughts and ideas that you have? I think it's important to have your kind of work-life balance. My Twitter account is very much a professional account. Granted, I do follow some celebrities because, you know, I like entertainment and reality TV, but really hashtag med Twitter is what I do. So articles, engaging, promoting tweet chats. The other platforms for me, and I think it's important to have kind of a line. For example, Facebook is really more about family that I keep up with overseas or, or whatnot. And Instagram, I think it's kind of a blend of the two. So I think you have to choose whatever platform works for you. And it, it only happens when you kind of play with it and interact. Oh, so that makes sense. So you use a combination of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and for various work and home purposes, personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Neha, what about you? And to extend what Sadia was saying, I, I usually 
when I'm talking about social media, different platforms. And just while I think you, you mentioned something very important, this sort of balance, right? How do we balance both our social media engagement as well as real life and just work in general and uh, life outside of work. So boundary setting is very important and knowing which platforms align with your goals. What do you want to get out of this? And having a very authentic and consistent voice and some platforms are, are more aligned with, and they'll come more naturally to you as compared to other platforms. So for me, Twitter has been my predominant professional social media platform. And it's grown, it's grown in, in a lot of different ways for me. Also for my, my research, not just uh, research with social media, for example, with Wes Ely on uh, post-intensive care syndrome and PASC. So we we've con- we connected and sort of bonded over, over social media. And I reached out to him for mentorship as I wanted to explore uh, picks further. So knowing which platform is going to align with your professional goals, having that, that authentic voice. So while I use other platforms as well, for example, I do have some LinkedIn presence. I'm using the same the same picture, the same description for my profile, the people I connect with, the journals I follow, the hashtags I'm going to going to follow. I'll give an example of another professional engagement with the American Academy of Neurology. I was grateful to be part of the Emerging Leaders program. They have a hashtag for A and leadership. So from real life to social media, how do you weave social media into leveraging that synergy for your professional goals? So for me, Twitter has been that predominant platform, but LinkedIn, I think, is also a very effective platform. Some folks, and I don't do this, but some folks use Hootsuite or similar, you know, similar multi social media platform management tools, which can help you, you know, populate content that is going to go across platforms at the same time, you can time your content So you, you can start when I go to boundary setting and saying, Oh, I'm only going to spend X amount of time, whether I'm going to do that every day, whether I'm going to do that a few times a week, I think we have to be very careful about uh, choosing our platforms, about choosing how much time we want to spend, what is our messaging going to be, and what do we want to get out of it? And then periodically reassessing whether the platform that you're using for your message, is it really meeting your goals or not? I think that's a great way of looking at it. So making sure you have a goal, both of you, I think sort of said, you know, understand your medium and then try to align your goals with it. Use it. I think you both sort of said, I think implicit in your, in your comments were that you have to practice it and kind of work at it a little bit, refine it over time, understand the different hashtags, but you can use it great for networking, for getting new content. And that sounds great. I personally found it very challenging. And I've also worried a little bit about some of the stuff I've shared that there's risks to it. So talk to us as we shift the conversation now, social media sounds great, but it has some risks. And the recent data suggests that actually the risk may be far underappreciated potentially Um, And I'm just wondering how you all sort of see the recent news related to social media risks and your own personal stories. What have you seen things that people should take home for? Neha, we'll start with you. So with great power comes great responsibility, right? Our ability to connect and share in real time. How often are we reacting to information versus responding to information? So I do think that certain certain good practices that apply to our real lives also apply to our social media personas and that connectivity and that interconnectedness between our real lives and our social media lives. That's why I think that comment about authenticity, being your authentic self and having a very consistent, authentic voice. Having said that, 
being mindful of what you're sharing because even after you share something and delete it it's not like it's going to disappear and being very very intentional about why you're sharing certain pieces of information now how that information is being used and what data analytics are being being leveraged by the the various companies that manage these social media platforms under getting at least some preliminary understanding of going back to what is your goal why are you here what data are you putting out there and if somebody was going to use that data what are the bigger implications of of that data one of the big reasons why i don't really use social media for personal use and i use it only for academic purposes if any of these platforms wanted to run you know big data analytics on on the stuff that i'm sharing i'm okay with it but some of the dangers when it comes to the personal uses of social media and how you get targeted advertising and how social media can serve as a source of as a source of burnout or exclusion of propagating misinformation infodemics i think we we as as folks who are on the front lines and i'll speak specifically for academic twitter or um, when we using social media for academic purposes our first goal is to be aware that these are very powerful media and there are going to be voices that may not be very coherent but they are very extreme and they can they can appear as as very divergent voices and very loud and start becoming influencers so you want to remain engaged on some of these platforms so that you can help prevent the spread of misinformation and you can serve as ambassadors for disseminating the right pieces of information so that infodemic just as an example the who um, uh, has has some very good resources on understanding particularly in the midst of the pandemic just as we understand the the epidemiology of pandemics we've got to understand the epidemiology of infodemics across the, what is being shared who is sharing it what kind of information is going to lead to dangers to public health by amplifying wrong pieces of information so so as part of their infodemic management strategies they provide education to infodemic managers as well as have this this ai listening platform that listens across platforms and looking at different hashtags and across countries so the reason why i i bring this this point to the forefront just as we are engaging in social media to sadia's point learning from multiple disciplines i think it is imperative that we become more thoughtful and intentional users of social media so the right scientific messages and when you're sharing an opinion you do share the opinion but also cite your source literature and using those practices you then become engaged in the prevention of an infodemic and perhaps some of those other sort of dangerous things that we've seen come out of social media particularly the myths of a pandemic like covid we can help prevent actively perfect so i think you give a very nice outline of the key issues involved i think in our times that we're going to wrestle with misinformation the amplification of wrong information the being a very powerful tool social media can powerfully amplify voices that don't have appropriate scientific overlay and i think you gave an idea an important aspect of understanding the media understanding its purposes understanding where the data is going to be going anticipating the potential amp- the potential needs and uses of your data and your presence and what you're sharing recognizing share carefully you may want to be authentic but there's a bit of a you may have to hold back just like you would with your email you don't want to sort of draft i drafted an email last night and i said luckily put it in my save as draft format before i sent it out 
you know, we all have these emotional moments. And I think this is one of those things where it can potentially be, it can come back to bite you. So you know, something, something that I, I, that I often tell uh, trainees, don't, don't put anything out there that you wouldn't want your mom to see. So that, that holds true, I think, across social media platforms as well as your email. So I think that saving, saving something in your draft and not sending it out when you're reacting to a situation rather than responding, I think is a great strategy. Now, Sadia, this is a nice segue into now with your academic experience. Talk to us, you know, this is what Neha is talking about was the role, the sort of checking the information was a role traditionally for peer review. And that whole peer review process suddenly kind of went away or got diluted or talk to us a little bit about that, because I'm sure you're, you're probably a similar age and I am. We remember the peer review process, you know, and how that goes through and make, help me make sense of it. Cause I don't know how best to manage the information coming out. I think you have to be careful what you put out there and what you receive. I agree with Neha in terms of you know, if you want to comment on a journal article, or this is what I learned, and this is why I say this, or this is the evidence that supports. I'm a believer in that and backing up what I say. You will see a lot of people say, in this one case, I did this, or, you know, you should do this with these type of patients. I think you have to be very careful in what you take. As a user of social media, I also believe in sending a, and being very positive. I'm not like a basher in the sense that, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. Um, that's ridiculous. This is not, you know, I think you have to put out a positive presence. I think you have to be very careful when using cases, especially with regards to HIPAA and patient privacy. And it's okay to interact and engage in these forms, but I agree that we have to be responsible and kind of stewards of evidence-based and, and the right thing. So if I do see something that may be questionable, I will comment, but I will also not amplify. So I think it gets tricky because there is not kind of police that's going to say, oh, well, you know, this is right or this is wrong. It's really within that community of people that you can engage and get those interactions and those opinions. I think this got tricky with COVID and Neha could probably speak to that more, but I think it was great in the sense that we could see what was going on as being in the South in Texas. I could see what was going on in New York and Italy before it came to us, right? So there were things that we learned. But there were also ideas that were put out there that in the end weren't the right thing, right? So I think it's tough. I think in terms of peer review, you're going to have to use your judgment, right? And use what you've learned because we haven't gotten to the point where if it's not true, it's not out there. Anyone can post anything. And so that's something as a user you need a screen for. That's well said, I think. I think uh, that's very important to think through that space. And I like how you said be positive what you shared to be positive and sort of have that positive outlook, outward profile. But now if everyone's positive, some people actually have, we started to see some interesting research from the Facebook aspect where everyone seemed to have this lovely life. Everyone has this wonderful relationships. And, and I'll tell you as a, as, as a husband, father, son, life isn't always so colorful. And when you look at your lens, social media lens to, to color that, there's some interesting research, especially for young, like uh, teenage women, sort of what their self-perceptions are. And in, for pulmonary critical care, to bring it back to our field, when our wellness and burnout is so high, do you worry that, you know, that's the social media images, everyone's being positive, will affect our burnout for our profession? Any thoughts on that aspect? Yes, Paul, very pertinent comments. So we're thin slicing, right? We're choosing, we're, we're curating our, our voices and we're curating our, our pictures and what we're sharing on social media. So what does this all mean? 
in, in terms of authenticity and amplifying that positivity. I completely agree with Sadia that, you know, intrinsically being a positive person, it's something that I want to, it's a core value for me. So I, yes, I want to project that and I want to engage with, with uh, positive content. However, what I've also found, and I think uh, that that sense of community and sharing so as we embark on, I'll give examples of, you know, when we get these rejections, if you look up hashtag reviewer number two, you, you'll see some of those sentiments that we have all experienced and we all don't want to be reviewer number two, right? And people will, how would I have ever known when I get a manuscript rejected that there are so many other people across the world who have gone through this and are experiencing this right in this moment and that solidarity that it's okay, you know, it's okay, you move on. There are these wonderful conversations about grants getting rejected. And there is, there's one clip that's gone viral from a Nobel laureate who's talking about how her grant gets triaged on the day she wins the Nobel Prize for telomerase, right? So I think I would have never, I'm talking about my personal sort of experience, I would have never had access to those kinds of conversations and known the magnitude of rejection, the magnitude of peer review or, or reviewer comments, you know, right. being very, very brutal for something that you have worked so hard, hard on. And sometimes you commiserate with your colleagues, but your colleagues may not be going through the same thing. But now you find this massive community that's going through the same thing. So I wonder if that's a source of prevention of burnout right. rather than creation of burnout, even this conversation. So we we had done an abstract for Chester a little while ago on hashtag ICU burnout. And what are the what what are some of the conversations around this on social media and physician burnout? And it's a massive issue. But at the same time, you know, you're not alone and you know that you can reach out to people who are not just at your institution, but, you know, across the world. So I think understanding that you have one more positive avenue of sharing in a meaningful manner and perhaps learning what strategies may have worked in somebody else's environment or somebody else's academic career and adapting some of those approaches. So the point I'm making here is, yes, we want to be kind and positive and authentic. We are curating our information, but there's also this growing community that's sharing, you know, the CV of failures. I'm sure you've, you've all right. seen this, right? Like really prominent people putting up, you know, I had these 10 different grants rejected before I got funded. And I think that really helps us as we're going through those different stages in our own careers. I, I have to completely agree with Neha because it's, it's almost like you kind of really find your tribe, especially as women. Oftentimes we don't see that or we feel that we've been kind of not considered for a position. You know, definitely we can commiserate with people on Twitter. I think the other thing is what's nice is aside from the fact that we're dealing with burnout or that we're dealing with rejection with this journal, it's not just us, it's across all of medicine. So really using that hashtag women in medicine has helped me kind of relate and see that I'm not the only one. The other beauty is that it really kind of removes all hierarchy in the sense that you're connecting with the Nobel laureate. You know, you can you can reach out to them, you can learn from them and you can commiserate with them. So it's been an amazing kind of release and almost validation, I think also in certain forums. Interesting. So both of you say, as long as you're mindful of the curated content, as long as you're mindful of what you're, cre you're curating and how you're perceiving others curated content, you still can find community. You, you can find some sense of 
support outside your institutional walls, outside your traditional mentorship experiences, and within your, and ideally weave it into your daily life. And I think that's a very powerful message. Are there other messages? And I'm bringing this, I, I, I preface this as we kind of wind down our podcast here today. This podcast is about women leaders. And so we oftentimes highlight challenges women might be having specifically. You both mentioned areas of rejection of journal articles or lack of access to promotion or other pathways. And so any advice for others, especially relates to social media or other, any other aspects to this podcast that you want to add? Um, Sadi, I'll start with you. So I think, I think Twitter is a great forum to connect again, find what works for you. But when I say to be positive, I would use, like Neha said, use your social media to help yourself if that's what you want in your career. I, I would engage, but not share too much, right? I think we all, it's kind of that line where we want to say something, but always be careful because in terms of employment, either current or future, that's something that's always kind of discoverable. Taking Sometimes making that connection and taking the conversation offline is sometimes the best thing to do. But I think used appropriately or used in a, you know, in a positive or proactive manner, Twitter is a great tool. Neha, any thoughts? Just while you asked about challenges, right? And I think the biggest challenge for, for me has been time time management. And as I, as I evolve in my, in my career, in my personal life, how do I use this really precious gift of time and intentionally be present in the moment? So, you know, when I'm, when I'm live tweeting at meetings, for example, and there's so much amazing content, there are so many different sessions and so many people I want to connect with and talk to. And I'm doing it, but am I fully present? And am I am I making the most of my time? And how do how do I how do I perform some other boundary setting? And I think it it that uh, question of of uh, using this this valuable gift of time and how we're using it, I think it transcends social media, real life, work, life, integration, all of it. And I think that's probably, as much as it is a challenge, it's also a great opportunity because it reminds us that we, what is one of the biggest gifts that we can give somebody else? I almost feel it's the gift of our undivided attention. So how do we begin to do that in the midst of so many amazing things that are happening around us and you have all these different platforms and the uh, the the influx of tremendous amount of literature across all these different fields so it's it's almost like i'm at a buffet and or i'm a kid in a candy store and there's so much to choose from so that's that's been that's been a personal challenge as much as it is an opportunity and i see that as an area of growth and personal discovery. And I want to begin to spend more time on things that that are more meaningful and connecting with people. I find that incredibly meaningful and powerful. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping that as I, as I make these connections, they're not, they're not superficial, that they're meaningful, as meaningful as they are to me, that I, I can bring that same kind of value, whether it's in the, in the social media realm or whether it's in real life. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really well said. I think the ability to, I like the idea of a buffet, or I'm just picturing like, you know, like you're at a buffet and there's one wonderful dish and you're so looking at the other dishes that you can't even enjoy that one dish. And I think I'm equally guilty because, and it's just in, almost inherent to our positions, right? We have, yeah, we have social media, but we also have, you know, pagers or cell phones or some kind of texting messages or people are m- messaging you with other, through other means to get your attention. And you have to sort of 
the the lack of being present has so often been hard for me to manage. And it's become even harder now that I don't sit in my couch on a, reading a journal. I actually have to sort of go through the online platform, then tweet it, then read the comments. Then, and that's just one article. And it gets harder and harder as we kind of move along. So I'd be interested to sort of see as we learn to navigate this, we just have to learn as a community. It seems like, am I, am I wrong? Or how do you see us na- learning to navigate the challenges? Sadia? I think the, I think the other thing is it should be fun. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it should be fun. Like when it becomes like, oh, I got to tweet this one and wait, did I do this? You know, just, I think dedicate the time, you know, you can slowly get more and more involved and engage, but it should be fun. And you should be tweeting about things that interest you, you know, whatever your, your interest is. I, I'm a big fan of Plura, you know? So the things I tweet about, it's either Plura or sleep um, or education, you know? So I think keeping it fun and keeping it real, basic, but important. That's well said. Any final comments or parting words, words of wisdom? You mentioned sudden this would be fun. Neha, any other parting words? You need to strike the right balance and you have to keep evaluating what that balance means to you and what does it mean for your stage of life, for your stage of career, for, you know, if we don't do that, we can very quickly get overwhelmed by the amazing content. It's just, you know, going, just by going back to your point of, there's so many amazing things. How do you choose? How do you enjoy that one amazing thing, that one amazing paper that you're reading and you dissect it and you're, you know, or, or that, that uh, one conversation that you've engaged in or a Twitter chat that you participated in or, or a beautiful post on Instagram that you saw or you, when you listen to this podcast, what are you taking away from it? And spending some time, spending some time to process. So don't just keep doing Take, take that moment, that pause to process and see how it's changing you as a person. So we start becoming more intentional in our use of whether it's different social media platforms, whether it's real life, you know, uh, engagements and connections. So we can really, really enjoy and, and to Sadia's point, continue to have fun and really preserve that joy and not have to, you know, keep repeatedly bringing back joy. Well, I think that's, that's a great message. And I have to say, um, learned a lot. So just kind of going through, I guess I'm going to try to have more fun with this, be more present on and off social media platforms, try different ones, maybe find some ways to sort of be more efficient and effective with them. But the bottom line is keep, keep a positive outlook. And I like the, the idea of don't share anything that my mother shouldn't see and be very mindful of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it and reflect take time to reflect on the on the things that we're talking about and discussing. So I want to thank you both for taking the time today with Consultant 360. On behalf of the organization, I just want to say thank you for your time, your leadership, and for all that you do. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.